increasingly, young lawyers don't do this at all anymore. Technology does it. It can read those documents and it can sort the relevant ones from the irrelevant ones, at least as well as human lawyers can. It never gets tired or distracted. You know, it doesn't drink. It can do something that even excellent lawyers cannot do, which is it can read 100,000 pages of documents and spot patterns in there that no human would have been able to discern. And so here's the thing, it's doing the work not only faster and cheaper than humans, it's doing it better. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. My guest today is Jeff Colvin. He is a New York Times bestselling author of a couple of my favorite business books. First, Talent is Overrated, and the second one, Humans Are Underrated. And we're going to dig into this whole notion of how the definition of great performance is being changed and what's driving that change. First, we'll look into how technology-driven changes in our economy are affecting employment and how they will continue to affect employment. And then we're going to look into what it means to be a great performer and what are the skills we all will need to master in order to be great performers in the new machine age of AI and brilliant machines. And then we'll talk about what this means for you in particular in sales. I mean, it used to be that you had to be good at being machine-like. Now, increasingly, you have to be good at being a person. And we talk about the research that shows that in the future, meaning starting today, starting tomorrow, in a world increasingly filled with artificial intelligence, that great performance requires us to become more intensely human. Now, this is one that's going to make you think. So make sure you stick around. Before we get to Jeff, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Jeff Colvin, welcome. Thank you, Andy. Hey, pleasure to have you here. Pleasure to have you. Really enjoy your books. Talents is overrated. Humans are underrated. Um, and we're going to jump into some of that here shortly. But before we get started, I've, I have a question I ask all my guests at the start of the show. And, and even though you're not specifically in sales, I thought you'd be well positioned to answer it. Is in your mind, because that leads into what we're going to talk about today, what's the single biggest challenge you think facing sales reps today? Well, uh, honestly, I think it is, it's for themselves. It is understanding the degree to which they are threatened by technology. Uh, it's very easy for a sales rep to think that, you know, technology can take out all kinds of mechanical work and, you know, routine work and stuff like that. But surely what I do you know, dealing with my customers or my prospective customers. You know, no machine could ever uh, take over that function, and it simply isn't true. And the, the, we'll go into this, I suspect, a little more. Mm-hmm. But 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 fully appreciating the threat, I think, is going to prove to be the the greatest challenge facing sales reps today. Well, there's been sort of no shortage of predictions that. Business to business sales, in particular, which is yes. our audience, is primarily business to business sales, you know, is faced with an existential threat from technology. I mean, right. the Forrester Research Group put out this report that I think 
every salesperson in the world is aware of. Right. And I think they put it on 2015, saying by 2020, fully 20% of the B2B sales jobs will have been gone, eliminated. Yeah. Um, which, two years into that five-year period, that hasn't begun to really happen yet. But, but it's not that it couldn't, as you say. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, he, he, here's what... Here's where a lot of the disagreement, I think, is. It may, my own view is, it may well be that some significant percentage of B2B sales jobs disappear, but those will be the B2B sales jobs that are not being done very well by the people doing it, right? Exactly. Right? I mean, these things are immune to, te- to technology takeover only if the the salesperson is doing something that the technology really cannot do. And there are always a number of salespeople out there who, frankly, are not doing anything that the technology cannot do. Exactly. Yeah, it's sort of like they let it happen to them. And, and that's the part we're going we're gonna to get into as we get into it. But I wanted to sort of set the stage a little bit because you've written extensively about changes in the economy that relates to how technology is going to affect employment. And I thought it really good to give people sort of a – you know, a, a background about that and some of the things you've written. And I, one of the things that struck me and one of the things I read is that you gave the example about how, uh, which surprised me, it's like the single largest employment of males in America are truck drivers. Right. Exactly <laughs> so, right. It, so it, so it, 2.9 million t- truck drivers. Yep. And who would have thought that they would face such a threat from technology? Right. No one ever imagined that that, that job would be threatened by technology. And it's not that many years ago what, maybe 10 years ago, that, uh, you know, some very smart economists whom I greatly respect uh, wrote a book in which they said that, you know, they just happened to give that as an example. In fact, they said, you know, driving a truck, when you think of all the sensory input that the driver has to process and the split second decisions they have to be have to make about whether to make a left turn against oncoming traffic, they said that is such an enormously complex job, in fact, that computers are just not going to be able to do it. Well, you know, I think it only took four years after that before (laughs) Google introduced its first self-driving car. And today, uh, you know, a, a truck now has actually made, an autonomous truck has made a commercial delivery. Uh, it was done late last year for the first time. And we can see where this is going. Well, and I, I think of an example of myself from, I remember, oh, back in the late 90s, working for a, a tech company, uh, we were in the wireless and satellite communication space, and we were working with the U.S. government on a smart highway program. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about, yeah, we're going to have driverless cars, but it required, at that time, the vision was that you're going to have to embed right. things rem- into the roadbed, right? Yeah, I remember this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember this. You had to put wires in in the concrete there, uh, yeah, basically sensor. So it it, it knew where it's going to go, and the cars uh, the cars are going to come by and pick you up. It's going to be like getting onto the highway. It's going to be like uh, what's going to look like TDMA communications protocol if you're <laughs> packet communication <laughs> switching. Basically, is how the cars are going to get in and off the roads. And you think, gosh, just in you know 15, 20 years, yeah, how radically things had changed. So to your point earlier, is you know salespeople are sitting here sort of dumb, fat, and happy as thinking, yeah, I can't ever be replaced because what I do is so unique, then, yeah, that's not really the case. And I, and I thought it'd be interesting to sort of go through, you sort I found fascinating, is, is sort of four turning points um, in sort of the 
technology relating to the nature of work. And first one being the industrial technology, industrial revolution. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting to sort of go through, I don't know if you recall those from that article you'd written. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. The fr- and I, I <laughs> the truth is, I may ask you for a little help on this. Oh, that's fine. That's um, fine. But uh, yeah, sure, sure. So of course, we started with the Industrial Revolution and so forth. Uh, after that, I suspect was the... Um, Arrival of uh, basically electricity. Electricity, it's, uh, yeah. exactly, which uh, was such a huge technological advance that um, many companies simply applied electricity to their existing processes and structures. But the most successful companies said, "Ah, this actually enables us to structure our company and processes in entirely new ways." And so they did. Well, I was going to say, I thought, I thought the thing that was really interesting about the, the sort of this, these four points is that what it did is sort of flip-flop who, who was benefiting from an employment standpoint in terms of skill levels. Yes. So the industrial technology revolution benefited unskilled workers. Right. Because, you know, these repetitive tasks, it didn't, you know, the artisans became outmoded. And then you moved into the, just as we talked about, the you know, widespread electrification of the economy. Suddenly... Yeah, they required better educated workers to operate these more complex machines, and the unskilled workers were out of luck. Yep, exactly then, right. And then it started coming back around again. Yes, that's that, that's exactly what's happening, and it's very unusual and striking and uh, disorienting for many people because what's happening now. I, and so, look, for most of the twentieth century, the story was pretty simple: uh, higher education led to better skills, better jobs. Uh, and it was a wonderful, you know, t- as technology advanced, people required better education. And so these two things advanced together, and it was a great thing. And this is a large part of what made America the largest economy in the world in the 20th century. Um, and ri- very rapidly rising living standards, and all worked great. What is happening now is just what you say. Suddenly it's kind of going back the other way. Um, what we're seeing is that starting some years ago, the returns to higher education, college education, uh, started to diminish. Mm -hmm. And it actually, even the researchers who documented most thoroughly the greater importance of college education through the 20th century have now said, you know, that seems to have run its course. And the technology has become so advanced now that it's doing more and more things that even college-educated people were doing previously and taking jobs away from more highly educated people. And this is, this is something we're having – we as a nation, as a society, are having a lot of trouble uh, adapting to. When you give the example oh, – well, first of all, we can see the examples all around where to become – you know, let's say an administrative role, you know, if you become an admin for somebody, requires a college degree. Right. <laughs> Where, right. <laughs> not that you're using those skills at all, but you requires a college degree, right. which whole separate discussion about, yeah, appropriateness of that and the college debt and so on. But, but I thought one of those more striking examples you gave about, about technology encroaching into, you know, sort of higher end skilled jobs was the examples you wrote about, about lawyers. Yes. And and this re- tells us a lot, and and should really it's a cautionary um, set of facts, not just for lawyers, but for all kinds of other people. So what we see happening is that 
uh, technology is now doing a lot of work that young lawyers used to do, specifically um, the process of discovery in a lawsuit uh, mm-hmm. where the other side has to give you documents, which could be thousands or hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. And for years, young lawyers, associates at law firms, got the job of going through those vast mountains of documents, trying to figure out which ones were relevant and which ones were not, and what were the parts of those documents that were going to be important in the case. And, you know, the time of those associates was billed at a pretty good hourly rate, Mm -hmm. and it took a lot of hours to do it. Well, increasingly, young lawyers don't do this at all anymore. Technology does it. It can read those documents, and it can sort the relevant ones from the irrelevant ones at least as well as human lawyers can. It never gets tired or distracted. It can, <laughs> and it can do, and it you know it doesn't drink, and you know, and it it can do something that even excellent lawyers cannot do, which is it can read a hundred thousand pages of documents and spot patterns in there that no human would have been able to discern, but it can spot significant patterns that are going to make a difference. And so here's the thing. It's doing the work not only faster and cheaper than humans, it's doing it better. And that is impossible to fight. And it's one reason that even major law firms, some of them are downsizing now. And it's Mm -hmm. one reason that law schools uh, in the United States uh, overall are in crisis. And some of the smaller ones and less elite ones are shrinking, a few of them even closing down, some of them cutting tuition. Who would have thought this was possible? Nobody. Well, yeah, especially think about all those law school grads that yeah. aren't, aren't getting jobs, right? They aren't getting jobs. This is really an epidemic. Or if they're getting jobs at all, they're not in law. Right. Yeah. Or maybe it's an inside you know, corporate thing, but it's, yeah, it's not doing what they set out to do and certainly not uh, helping them pay off their debt. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> it's not what they spent all that money to go to law school for. So in the higher end jobs, you say that you know the meaning of of being a great performer really changed. Yes. Where it used to be you had to be machine-like. Yes. Now it's about being good at being human. That's exactly right. And this is a, a really fundamental change that we're still struggling with. But a, a, a lot of the work that humans used to do, truthfully, was inhuman work. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it was adding up columns of numbers or it was retyping letters or it was redrawing blueprints. And technology has done away, has taken over those jobs. Now it's taking over jobs that we thought only humans could do. And so being a better machine, which is essentially what used to make us more valuable employees, doesn't work anymore. Now we have to be as deeply, utterly human as we can possibly be. We have to relate with, and that what that means is relating with other human beings in a way that so far at least no machine can do. Having that, you know, building that deep relationship that's one human to another, that simply does not get formed with 
uh, machines and that is going to be important to that other person. That's where competitive advantage arises now. Yeah, I mean, I love the way you put it. Is that you know the to look into someone's eyes, yes. actually, both yes. metaphorically and literally, yes. is is the key to creating value. It, it is, and and I'm glad you you recalled that because looking into someone's eyes literally turns out to be an incredibly important thing. There's all kinds of magic that happens only when we look into each other's eyes, literally, in person, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in person, face-to-face, -face, stuff goes on that we are not consciously aware of. For one thing, if we are talking to each other in person, face-to-face, -face, our brains literally synchronize. The researchers right. have you know, put these sensors on people's heads, and the, the same parts of the brain light up at the same time. The, the idea of be, being in sync with someone else is actually not a metaphor. It happens literally. And if you have that same conversation, standing two feet apart, but back to back, the synchronization disappears. Uh, when we look each other in the eye, the pupils of our eyes dilate and constrict in sympathy with one another. We have no conscious awareness that this is mm -hmm. happening. But it is happening, and the researchers have found that this builds trust. We unconsciously mimic one another's posture. We mimic one another's tone of voice. We don't know we're doing it, but that is building trust also. So there, there is this magic that happens only mm -hmm. when human beings are in person face to face. Well, and the thing that's really interesting about that is there is this huge trend in sales toward inside sales. Yes. And... And one of the things that's happening, especially like I'll take like the SaaS industry, is you yep. look at their ultimate close rates or conversion rates, whatever term they want to call, and they're not very good. Right. Now, they make it up in volume, right? right. I mean, they're, yes. they're out on the front end uh, burning through hundreds of thousands <laughs> of prospects to get those deals. But, you know, I've made the point to several of the sales leaders in that field is, yeah, if you want to increase that, Get people on a plane. Go back and talk to somebody, right? You want to do everything remotely, but there's huge value. You just said, is actually, it's, yes, it's more costly. Maybe you don't do it on every deal, but there's such value for actually being with a person. And you get the, as you said, you get that synchronicity, that mirroring that, that starts taking place. Yeah, that's exactly right. An interesting phenomenon that's going on is the rise of uh, conferences, um, you know, big uh, meetings and mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, I can tell you that in our business, the magazine, what we used to call the magazine business, uh, <laughs> conferences are turning out to be a more and more important part of the business. At Fortune, we do a lot of them. Other magazines right. are doing a lot of them. How come, you know, how come in the digital age, bringing people physically together is a growing and profitable business. Well, it's because there is something that happens only when those people are physically together and that a lot of people are willing to pay money for it. It's valuable. Yeah. Well, we certainly see it in the sales, the sales industry. I mean, our tech industry, so on, but I'm talking about the sales business per se, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of funny. There's sort of a, a limited appetite that you find, though, too, is after about the fourth or fifth conference, people stop going. But um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but there is, yeah, there is real real value to that. So another point I wanted to explore, because you 
brought up some really interesting research that there seemed to be a you know a contradiction in this is so you you cited research from Oxford Economics that they surveyed employers. Employers said, "Hey, in the next five ten years, you know, we don't need the conventional sort of uh, you know left brain skills, you know, right. business acumen analysis, you know, so on. What we need are right brain relationship building, teaming, collaboration, co creativity, brainstorming, so on, and and empathy. But but then." You also cite research saying that, that empathy is actually serve in a shortfall these days. You know, surveys yeah. of college grads is actually the level of empathy is actually decreasing. So what do you think accounts for this gap? I mean, this is what we need, but, you know, we've got this declining empathy. Well, it's a, it, it is a very profound point, I think. And in a way, what accounts for the gap, for this divergence, is... Um, the rise of technology having both effects. Uh, companies are finding that they need more people with those skills, not just for external reasons, such as salespeople will experience, you know, when they're out mm-hmm. selling, but also for internal reasons within organizations. Uh, the way teams work together, for example, uh, which is increasingly how all work gets done, uh, it, it is enormously important to have people who have these deep uh, human skills, these deep skills of human interaction. Uh, so uh, you know, as teams become more and more important, these skills that you were listing become more and more important. At the same time, however, as you say, there's plenty of research showing that those skills are in shorter supply. Uh, for example, there is a, uh, a long history of research on college students being rated on this scale of empathy that researchers mm-hmm. put together a long time. Well, it's been declining uh, since about, well, for many, many years. Uh, college students, on average, score lower on empathy. How come? Well, we could postulate a lot of things, but we do know that um, other research shows increasing use of tech of digital technology, you know, looking into screens, communicating right. with our thumbs, uh, seems to cause seems to weaken empathy. In fact, it, it shows this very clearly. Now, look, we are not going to we are not going to stop using digital technology. <laughs> no, we are, you know, no. we're, we're, this is not this is never going away. We're not going to give up. Uh, everything, all the phones and everything that we've got, we can't live without them. I can't live without them. We're not no. going to. We're not going to give these things up. They're going to be embedded under our skins. They are. That's next. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. And uh, so, fine. It, it's not going away. But we must realize what we're losing along with what we're gaining from these technologies. And one of the things we're losing is deep skills of human interaction. Empathy being the foundational skill of human interaction. And that, you know, look, declining supply combined with increasing demand equals greater value. And so that's why empathy and the other skills of deep human interaction are becoming much more valuable. Well, and interestingly, as you point out, is that as we look, and this is especially relevant for sales, which is still 
like many fields, is dominated by men. Yes. Is that, yeah, the greater value you put on empathy is the greater value that they have for hiring women into that, those roles. That's exactly right. And, and you know, when, when I talk about these issues with groups, I often say to them, okay, look, I, I, I've just described to you all of these skills and I've described to you their value. Now, on average, who do you think is better at these skills of deep human interaction, men or women, you get one guess. And <laughs> everybody laughs because they realize, you know, of course we know. And I say, look, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of research supporting the answer to that question. But do we yes. really, do we need the research at all? Don't we all know from life experience that on average women are better at these skills than men are. It doesn't mean all women are better than all men. That's not correct. And we can all get better than we are. Right. But going in, on average, women are better than men at these high-value skills. Well, I think then it, it really points to, especially when you're bringing you know, new generations of workers into the workforce, especially in sales, is that you know, the training process and the ongoing education process, you know, not this one time, hey, we're going to train you for two weeks and then you're done type thing. But the ongoing education of people in the workforce, especially sellers, has to really focus on these behaviors, I call them, these habits, selling habits, empathy and so on, as opposed to building relationship, connecting with the individual as opposed to the traditional sort of closing skills, tactical skills that they really focus on because hey, you know, the, the stereotypical sales closer, yep. I've, I've, <laughs> you know, I've thought it's been a myth for, for years, but it's truly going to become a thing of the past here very shortly, if it hasn't yeah. already. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, it, it's absolutely right. And these are the skills. So the skills we're talking about now uh, as being the most valuable skills are not skills that typically get trained very much. And in fact, there are some people who think they can't be trained. They think, you know, it's kind of a natural thing. You know, you've got mm -hmm. it or you, you come into this world uh, wired that way or you don't. And obviously that is not true. These skills can be trained. They are being trained now by a number of institutions uh, around the world. But most companies still don't understand that they can be trained, let alone understand how to train them. Well, I think, I think there's going to be a certain, <laughs> I think that's true. I mean, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the training for these types of things sort of fall into, you know, if you're in sales, suddenly it starts find, feeling like sensitivity training and so yes, on. Yes, right. Which, which is, yeah, there's an element of that because we have increasingly diverse workforces and, and increasingly diverse set of customers, and, which is, you know, a really critical point for people to understand as they're selling into a major enterprise is that, as we talked about, you know, more people involved in the decision, more committee-based is, yeah, they're going to be way more diverse than they were in the past, and you need to be sensitive to that. But, but yeah, these these soft skills sort of make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But but it, that's the future for sellers. Yeah. If you it, if you want to succeed, and and I'm saying this to the people listening to this is, if you want to succeed, this is your path to success. This is your path to having a long-term career in sales. Is emphasizing these skills as well as your product knowledge and customer knowledge, for sure, because that's how you're going to help collaborate with them. But, you know, the saying, hey, I want to be able to give the best pitch possible, yeah, that's not really the thing these days. Yeah, it, it, it's so true. 
And uh, I'm glad you mentioned product knowledge and customer knowledge. You know, all certainly important, but there's a very broad trend, which is that knowledge in general is becoming commoditized. It used to be such a differentiator uh, mm. among all of us, you know, that you knew stuff that somebody else didn't know. Well, there is less, you know, that can still make a big difference, but every day there is less and less that I know that everybody else in the world can't find in 10 seconds. Right? Yep. It, it, knowledge is becoming radically more available. So, in, you know, yeah, it's still important for sure, but less and less is it going to be how I am better at my job than somebody else is at this kind of job. We, we've got to look elsewhere for competitive advantage. And it's at this, this we talked about, you know, the emphasizing, exercising the more uniquely human skills that are going to be the way you connect, build trust, uh, get engagement in a way that, yeah, I think is, is the real differentiator. And really, it's, you know, a line I used in my first book years ago is, you know, it's really, it's about how you sell, not what you sell. Right. And the how uh, being from the human aspect of it. Right. Not. Right not you know, how you pitch and so on and so forth. It's just how you connect. And I, and I, I agree with you. I think, I think these capabilities are all, all in us. Yeah. You know, if you read, yes. you know, do hig about habits and other people about habits is, as we all say, we all come with all the habits. We're not creating new, we're not creating new habits. We're just changing habits. Yeah. Which yeah. is a really different approach, right? We all have these capabilities to be empathetic, to collaborate, to, you know, co-create, to, to lead, Build relationships. Yes. I, I, I do believe that we all have what it takes. We, we, we do all have what's, what, what it takes to succeed in this world of new, newly valuable skills. It, they're in there. They want to get out. Um, we just have to help them get out. Yeah. Well, I'm going to close with just a, another a quote from one thing you'd written is you, know, you said, hey, this is wonderful news, that, paraphrasing that, but the quote is, just think of what we're being asked to do to become more essentially human, to be the creatures we once were and were always meant to be. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, you did. Well, excellent. <laughs> well, well, Jeff, thank you very much for joining me on the show. It's been fantastic. Uh, tell folks how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Well, the easiest way to do it is... Uh, jeffcolvin.com, but I always have to spell it because uh, I spelled Jeff, Jeff uh, right? <laughs> the English way. So it's right. uh, G-E-O-F-F, Colvin, C-O-L-V-I-N, jeffcolvin.com. And uh, they can find everything they need about books and my fortune work and everything else right there. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, so grateful for your support of this program. And I want to thank my guest, Jeff Colvin, for sharing his wisdom and insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could also leave us a rating and a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.